Welcome to Switching Lenses, a podcast that takes current issues and events within the culture and defends the Christian position from an apologetical and biblical lens. Now, here are your hosts, Shane Skirvin and Josh Phillips. Welcome one, welcome all to another episode of Switching Lenses. Now, in our last episode, we went a little long. Episode three, we called it Finding Our Way in This Mess. And Shane and I, we get going sometimes. And this was a big episode. We had a whole lot to say. So what you're hearing now is part two, the second half of this. And really, we're just going to jump right in. There's really no smooth transition for this. Uh, Let's just jump right back into the episode. Here we go. So now let's kind of get into this idea of actually pursuing justice. Okay, and I want to make the point that says that we actually have to pursue justice in a way that brings about righteousness. And I want to quote from the Bible, Amos 5.7. And I was recently reading this and I thought, wow, could this not be, this is so applicable today. And it says, again, this is Amos 5 verse 7. There are those who turn justice into wormwood or bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And what that verse is saying is there's people who enact justice. And even if they are in their, in, in like in a, in a way being just, the justice that they've put out there, it's, it's like wormwood. It's, it's, it's bitter. It's, it's, it's not actually godly justice. It's, it's, it's not helping those around them. And it says, and it goes on to finish the verse, and it casts righteousness to the ground. So, you know, it's real easy sometimes to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's real easy sometimes to handle a situation in a way that we think is very just. You know, you did this to me, then I'm going to do this to you. You know, in, that, in our minds, that seems just, but like, did that really help the situation though? Did that make the situation actually better? The answer to that is usually, usually no, I would say. And then, you know, this kind of reminded me of, of a couple of examples, actually, and uh, sort of remind me of if you've seen the movie The Prestige. Now, Shane, you said you've seen this movie, but uh, <laughs> that I've seen it. You've seen it, but you don't remember. I've seen parts too much. Yeah, you know. I, I need to see the whole thing. Yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And not to get too much into this or those spoilers or anything like that, but it's got you know two main characters. It's it's, it's Batman and Wolverine, right? It's Hugh Jackman <laughs> and, and Christian Bale. <laughs> Uh, but all, in all seriousness, like it has them too, and they're magicians, and they're actually working as apprentices to another magician at the beginning of the, it's the, beginning of the movie. I'm not, gonna, I'm not ruining anything. None of this, none of this I'm saying is ruining anything. Uh, they're working as apprentices for another magician, and Hugh Jackman's character, his wife, is actually working in the act as well. And so, uh, in this act, this one, this one where they, she, his wife is going to drop inside of a water tank. And then she's going to be able to get out of it. And, and, you know, she's, she's cuffed and all this, or no, she's tied with a, a knot. She'll be able to slip it, get out of there with this, you know, magically or whatever. And so Christian Bale is the one that ties her knot for her. Well, they've had this talk, of course, about tying a certain kind of knot. Hugh Jackman's like, no, don't tie it. It's too risky. Da, 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 da. So they go to the, do the magic act. Of course, Christian Bale ties that kind of knot. She gets in there and she can't slip the knot panic breaks out she drowns in the in the water tank and so Hugh Jackman's character is horribly bitter and horribly angry at Christian Bale 
And so this retaliation process begins. Hugh Jackman goes after Christian Bale. He then he retaliates back and he retaliates back, so on and so forth. And a certain line comes in the movie, and I don't have the direct quote for it, but this woman says to Hugh Jackman's character, he's like, no matter what, she's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing big time, but she says something along the lines of, you know, no matter what you do to him, to, to you know, to Christian Bale, whatever you do to him, it's not, whatever you do, it's not, it's not going to bring his, your wife back. And he says, I don't care about my wife. I care about his tricks. And like, he's, then he pauses like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I just said. And they're the bitterness that they've gone into, at least from Hugh Jackman's perspective, has de- the situation has devolved so much that he's almost, he's forgotten what he was mad about in the first place. And just vengeance has taken over and poisoned his mind in, 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 in his effort to be just. And so that kind of reminded me. Another one is, Shane, now this is a book I just recently finished reading and you you just started reading. So if you, you can jump in on this as well. Uh, it's a book called Spirit of the Rainforest. And it's about this Indian tribe, Yanomomo Indians. I think I'm, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And without getting too much into this book, and just really sticking to the part that I found really interesting, was that they tell these stories of this tribe. There's all these different Yanomomo Indian villages. And what will happen is, is somebody from one village will harm somebody from another village in some way, whether it's like a severe physical attack or oftentimes killing somebody. Or, I mean, there's other things too, but those are usually the main causes. And so a village that just, you know, was attacked by another village, they, it's, it's like the Yanomamo way to go enact revenge. And actually, if you want to be specific, as you mentioned earlier to me, Shane, in a joke, uh, they would actually grind up the bones of the dead body, mix it in a banana drink, drink it, and then go enact their revenge on the other, another village. But as you're reading this, like you're, you're getting the perspective of these Indians. And, you know, so this one, this one village that you're, you're getting their perspective of, they go, they go get their revenge and they wipe out all these people and they take some of their women and all this stuff. And then they come back to their village. Now, in terms of justice, you would think, oh, we did to them exactly what they did to us. This should be great, right? But no, their justice is absolute wormwood. It's absolute bitterness. Not just to other people, but especially to them. Because now they're thinking, oh my gosh, well, they're going to come attack us now. They're going to come raid our village. So guess what they're doing? They can't sleep at night. They want to go out and hunt to get food for, for their kids and their uh, the women in the village. But they're too scared to go out there because they feel like they're going to get ambushed. They're, they're sit, they do a thing. Um, Shane, I don't know if you got into this part or not. I can't remember how you pronounce it. But they, there's this thing that they'll do. They have a word for it whenever they'll send the whole village out into the jungle to just go just to get away from their home where they're at. Cause they know the home's going to get ambushed. So they send everybody out into the village or excuse me, out into the jungle. And it's sort of, they're, they're like, they're in groups within there, but like they, but their starvation is prevalent. Like there's, they have, they have a hard time finding food. It's have a hard time hunting. People die in this all the time, but they just go sit out in the jungle for a few days. And in case an ambush does come, then they'll come back to the home. What they call, they call the home a Shibono. So they'll come back to the Shibono after a few days just to try to avoid a, a possible ambush that they don't even know is coming. And so that's what this made me think of is like, just because you enact what you might see as justice, it can be extremely destructive. We want to make sure that there's righteousness paired with the justice. Yeah, it can cause, it can cause um, like you were describing, it could cause uh, 
hell on earth, right? I mean, just I mean, just a a terrible scene. And like you were saying, talking about history, I mean, you don't have to read very far into history to see many chapters are written in blood. And the chronic instability, like you said, when you are when you're afraid and you're starving, uh, very little good can come of that experience. And and stability leads to progress. Stability leads to common prosperity, a commonwealth where the the whole community is lifted up. And you know, yeah. rule of law is and st- is completely linked to stability and to progress. And so no one uh, wants to go back to living in a culture of vengeance and violence like that. It's kind of like the Bible verse, there's a way that seems right to a man, right? It's like, there's a way that something seems at justice. It seems like this is the right thing to do. And we'll get so consumed by it and forget about all the consequences and all the fallout that comes as a result of it. Well, and 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 I think you said it well too. It's not just the people that you kill that pay the price, even the living pay a price. Yeah. As you read this book, you'll see it's it's pretty it's very sad all the, all the craziness that happens. So 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 here we are, you know, we're we're we want to enact justice, but we want to make sure that it's not just through our own perspective and our own viewpoint. We want to make sure that we have righteousness paired with it. So, Shane, I want to ask you, I think, you know, biblical justice, there are two key ingredients that play into this, I think, and that's mercy and forgiveness. And so, let's. I think there's no greater person to look to as a person of Jesus. And so, what did, what did Jesus, how did he work in mercy and forgiveness in terms of handling justice? Yeah, wow. That's a that's a pretty big question there, Josh. But I I would say he never looked at justice apart from like you said mercy and forgiveness. If you have a perfect moral law, the, like that's what we would say is the foundation for justice. The perfect moral law crushes imperfect people if it stands alone. And right. if you don't right. have if it's if it, their companion, justice companions has to always, you know, their constant companion has to be mercy and forgiveness. Otherwise, just justice comes off very harsh. And I think Jesus, both in his teaching and in his example of how he lived and how he died, always showed the friendship and the community between mercy, forgiveness, and justice. And and uh, you know, it's not just it's not just his teaching, but it's also the example of the cross where you would say where uh, justice and mercy met um, at the cross. And so it's something I think the whole world recognizes, even, you know, you talk to a lot of secular people and they would point to the example of Jesus's teaching as far as never talking about justice apart from mercy and forgiveness. Yeah, it was all part of his upside down kingdom, right? Yeah, absolutely. Loving your enemies, right? Yeah, I mean, just to quote a couple of verses, you know, Sermon of the Mount, you know, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, that's Matthew 5, 7. Um, in Matthew 8, uh, chapter 18, there's a parable of the unforgiving servant. When he's asked, how many times should we forgive? And Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7. I mean, it's just this, this utterly profound way of living. Again, it kind of goes back to lean not, lean not on your own understanding in a way. It's like we, we kind of think we have this, our version of justice. We th- it sounds right to us. But then here comes Jesus and bring this idea like, no, you have to have mercy or forgiveness. And when you see this play out, 
when you see this kind of li- way, you live out this way that Jesus says, when you incorporate mercy and forgiveness into justice, you see, wow, this is the only way that it works. Every other way is going to lead to more violence, more vengeance, more destruction. Only with mercy and forgiveness can true justice be enacted and, and, and can society actually function in like a profitable way, in a productive way, in a godly way. Yeah, mercy and forgiveness, they literally uphold justice and they they make a compassionate community, you know, a community that's not just given to the rule of law and to justice and fair play between people, but it actually looks deeper than that to a holistic uh, view of life to say, okay, who's who's at the bottom? How do we lift them up? You know, in the previous episode, we talked about this idea of mishpat. No, no idea, excuse me. That was the word, the Hebrew word mishpat, which often gets translated as justice in our English Bibles. And as we looked at it, we said that mishpat says it's not only retributive justice where we're like handling a matter like we would see, we're making sure that um, where somebody was wrong, that that wrong is made right. It's not just that though, but it's also looking at those who are marginalized, those who are on the outer edges, making sure that they're not being taken advantage of and they're being able to be lifted up so that they're with every, they're equal to everybody else. Right. So go ahead, Shane. Oh, I was going to say, and, and, and there's genius in seeing a lot of people don't realize this when you talk about eye for eye, the genius in the eye for the eye, just to kind of set up before we, to see the full picture of, of Mishpah is, yeah, bring this, yeah, this is, yeah, is that it limits. So, so we talk about vengeance being um, like, in the, like, as you said, in the spirit of the rainforest, you know, this outrage done to you. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to get them back seven times more. You're going to, you're going to do it three times more to them. You're going to kill them all for killing one of you. And, yeah. you know, I remember hearing stories of there's gangs that, that that's actually one of their rules or, you know, you get, you, you double what people have done to you. You know, you don't just wow. do it. You, you, you go past it. And so yeah. as, as a warning and a terror. And so we, we, to recognize the genius with an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth, uh, as you were saying, retributive justice, that concept that is that it's limited to. So it's, there's an equality to it. Okay, you did this, so what's been done to you is going to be exactly the same. So just, I just wanted to point that out before we move on. That when you and you're saying at, that because the point because because there were times where people did not hold an equal measure. Yeah, too as well, right? Yeah, there's ancient law codes where if you were a slave and you did something, you you were punished according to your status in the society, your social ranking. Yeah, yeah, right? and so there was not an equality. And so we do have to say, I'd, I'd love Mishpah, but before you get there, um, before we get there, 
I have to say, limiting it to uh, retributive justice, the limited aspect of it is pretty profound. And it's actually something that changed the entire ancient world when they saw both the equality. So it's between everyone. It's the same. And then it's equal to what the, the damage has been done. The punishment fits the crime. That principle is actually reflected in our law codes where it says a punishment should fit the crime. And so I, I just have to mention that that an eye for an eye can sometimes sound backwards, but it's actually for coming out of the chaos of the ancient world. It was actually a very humane, just law. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's easy to kind of forget. It's so easy to sort of like engulf ourselves in our modern times and forget how things used to be. And that some of these ideas that we might think think as archaic or ancient were actually pretty profound for their time. Yep. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. So, so let's look at that, Shane. Okay. So yes, yeah, so having said that, now let's look at the, now let's go move it on further to the idea of mishpat. So let me ask you this question. And I'll, and I'll phrase it like this, because this might, this, I feel like this is a question that might come across someone's mind. If I'm trying to enact mishpat, here in America, we'll, we'll use America as the example. You could be thinking, okay, so who's marginalized? Who, who is the person that's being held down? Well, let's say if I, you know, let's say I identify who that, what that person might look like in America. And then I go look at another country, someone from another country, maybe a third world country that's way less off. And I compare the, what's the, the marginalized person in the U.S. to that person in that other country. And I say, well, <laughs> the person in the U.S. doing way better than a person in the other country. Therefore, they're not marginalized. What would you say to a person that might think that? (laughs) Context is king. I mean, you have to look at in your own society, in your own community, the call to do mishpah is in your own community. And so you have to, it's easy to, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, what prompted the parable of the Good Samaritan was Jesus talking about doing justice to your neighbor and a critic said, well, who's my neighbor? And so it's that idea of trying to uh-huh. escape the claims of mispaw in your community. So in your local community, in the area of your responsibility, who are the weak, uh, like you said, the uh, what's the word, the quartet, Josh? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's what's referred to. Yeah, the quartet. The quartet. It's 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 the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Right? Is right. the quartet. And so when you look at that quartet, who who fits in that in your community? And so we would say those who don't have as much access to legal representation, or mm-hmm. the people that don't have resources to set. You know, they're just uh, like you were saying when you're talking about the spirit of the rainforest, when you're on the run and you're starving, you don't have a lot of resources to try to get a fair shake in society. And so I I think it's, it's important to realize in your own community where the, where your quartet is, which again, we would say like the immigrant, the orphan, the widow and the poor, that's the the Judeo Christian or the biblical. uh, That's the biblical understanding of those who have less power in a community. The, the ones that we need to lift up and uphold. Yeah, I think it's a good answer. I think what's interesting about, you know, you, you brought up the Good Samaritan. 
Do you remember the the guy that asked who is my neighbor? Do you remember how he was described? He was, <laughs> if I remember right, he's described. If I remember right, he was a he was a lawyer. Oh, a lawyer. Okay. And what I find interesting about that story is that you know a lawyer, <laughs> they're they're wordsmiths. They're total wordsmiths, right? Yeah. And so they they always get you on technicalities and oh use, but you said da 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 da. So I find it interesting, you know, in that story, you know, Jesus asked him a question. Or he asks a question, or yeah, he's like, and you know, he responds with, you know, Jesus asks him, you know, um, he asks, what does he says? How, how do you get to heaven? And and what, what doesn't Jesus respond? Something like, well, what is what is the, the, law, the Torah commands. say? What does the law yeah. say? What does the greatest commands? Yeah, and he says, and he knows exactly what the right answer. Oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor yourself. Like he knew the answer, and then, but then he wants to come back. Well, hold on a second. Well, who, who's my neighbor? It's like he came into that loaded well in one of the one of the gospels it says uh seeking to justify himself he asked mm-hmm. and so it actually points to the fact that he was seeking to justify himself by saying okay who who what's the least i can do right <laughs> he was trying to get under the weight of mishpah exactly and this, which, which kind of gets to our next point here is like how can we exercise this here in, like especially like here in the u.s i don't know everybody listens in the u.s to our show but but he says an example and given what we were just talking about with this guy from the Good Samaritan story, you know, to me, I think the first thing is we have to have a mind and a heart that operates outside of ourselves. And that can be kind of hard to do. I think, you know, especially living here in the West, we, can, we tend to be complete individuals and think of how life, how only how it affects us. As long as, as long as we're taken care of and we're good, then then I'm good. Then I, I don't really need to think too far beyond that. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I think one of the blindness people that would never believe in human evolution will then turn around and believe in social evolution and that idea, the survival of the fittest in the marketplace. And it's this 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 idea of individual responsibility is the only determination of your uh, where you end up in society rather than looking at the biblical idea of Mishpah is to uphold the quartet around you. I mean, it's even as practical as not in your field, in your work, leaving a little something on the table. The ancient Hebrews, they were commanded by their law not to take everything out of their fields, that when they're in their orchard, just to get the first pass around, leave some of the fruit up in the trees, uh, leave some of the fruit, uh, grain in the field. Don't when they're uh, leave the corners of their field. Don't harvest all their entire field, so that way people can come and gleam the outsides of the field or find pickings in the trees where not all the fruit's been taken. Maybe high up on the branches, and so I mean they were actually the biblical command is to look how to uphold the weakest in your community. I think uh, Josh, I have to mention this. I read a story of a businessman once he got the idea that the gospel that the gospel is how he was saved and that he needed to be a just man because God had forgiven him and he was an equal standing with other people and so he needed to look how to uphold them and strengthen this whole idea of mishpah which was alive to him because of like you said the grace saving him and changing him and he had this he had this eye towards mishpah how do i lift up mm-hmm. what is my responsibility to lift up the weak in my community That's and good. as a chain of dealerships 
he uh, auto dealerships, he found out of the different groups in his community when they went to who got the best deal on cars, who negotiated the best price, both they had the knowledge and the confidence to negotiate themselves the best price was white men. And the group in his community that always paid full price, they did not negotiate down the price of the cars, was black women. And he said in light of that, in light of that fact, he changed his business model to no negotiation for the sticker price of his cars because he realized he was creating a situation where people were uh, being disadvantaged. Because That's they pretty did, bold. yeah, yeah, and in 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 the story, he got pushback from his. He lost some of his sales rep, uh, his sales staff, because um, they saw that as them losing a, a an ability to make more money. Right. And so he changed the whole structure, the pay structure of his salesman, made it just the price is. There's no negotiation. The price is what the price is for the vehicles. And so I hold that up as an example of doing Mishpaw in your community. And that's- is that, what's is that? that CarMax? Is that, or is that something else? Oh, I, I actually, I read the story in uh, Timothy Keller's book it's on- CarMax. Justice. They operate like that. Oh, okay. Well, I, 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 he, he mentioned the story without saying the name of the uh, dealership. Oh, okay. But yeah, may, uh, maybe so. Maybe CarMax operates that way because of that. I'm not sure. Or, or yeah, it could just be an independent dealership. That, that's that's pretty. Well, he said it was a genius. Wild. He said he had multiple stores, so it was a big. Oh, okay. It was it affected his whole business model. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty impressive to recognize that. I think that's a tough part with Mishpot. I think what makes it really tough here in the West is we're so focused, you know, on achieving goals, success, individual success, and when that's our primary focus, it's really easy to neglect others. And the, the bottom line has to be the quartet. The bottom line yeah. is people. The bottom line is that quartet because, you know, the idea that it, it's only when you look at mankind as an island, you know, if you see yourself as part of a larger community, you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying this is the reason you do it, but when you bless the community you live in, you're also blessing yourself. It's very short-sighted to take advantage of people in your community. It's going it, to, you know, you talk about, both of us cited the spirit of the rainforest. Well, if if you screw over people in your community, it might work short-term, but long-term, you're going you're gonna to pay the price. I mean, it reminds me of the story with Henry Ford paying his workers enough money to afford the product he was selling. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, yeah. there is something about when you water other people, you yourself will be watered. And yeah. so uh, it's that's what I love about Mishpah. I I love that about justice. That justice doesn't stand alone. Mishpah is beautiful. I mean, the reason why we like superhero movies, the reason why in the West our heroes, the definition of the of hero heroism in the West is self sacrifice. Right? It's yeah. disadvantaging yourself for other people. I mean, that is the heart of the very popular superhero. I mean, man, I mean, we can. Everybody loves it. Uh, yeah, it makes great drama. It makes great action. It's both right and wrong, but then it's also the sacrifice that you make for other people. When what you're seeing is people have great value. What you're seeing is it's beautiful to see people disadvantage themselves to help others. And it's all in the response of right and wrong. I mean, to have great drama, 
The same thing that creates great drama in movies is the same thing that creates great drama in your own life, right? It's recognizing yeah. right and wrong and, and, and heroically absorbing the cost to lift others up that are disadvantaged. I mean, uh, it sells, there's a reason why it sells uh, tickets, right, Josh? Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. And I think it's a good place to finish this. You, you talked about human value. You know, when we can, when we view everybody else as the image of God, as God's children, that changes everything. I think it's so easy, you know, to look at someone and go, well, they created their circumstances. Well, they, you're kind of saying they deserve it in a way. And then, but then like you start thinking, well, this is, you know, God, God loves that person. You know, God died for that person that sacrificed for that person that that's actually, that person is a reflection of God. They're made in God's image. And I think when you shift your focus that way, it really shakes everything up. Well, and we, we all know what karma is, right? I mean, you look at grace is beautiful and we know what karma is. I mean, it's, it's this, it, at first it sounds, it sounds good and right, but lifting people up and disadvantage yourself, it's, it's actually a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really uh, the focus of Mishpah, right? Is that we really need to, in order to enact that, to enact that kind of godly justice, we have to be able to look outside of ourselves. We have to make ourselves aware of the people around us and really kind of looking like, where, 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 where are people being taken advantage of? Where are people in a really tough spot? What can we do? Most importantly, what can we do to help them. And it's not about virtue signaling and just saying, we need to help these people, da, 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 posting it on your Facebook or whatever. It's like, what can I actively go do to help pull these people up? And hopefully it comes from a place of not just, well, I just got to do this just because, because it's apparently the right thing to do. That's what the Bible says, but it's really hopefully our heart for our love for other people will drive us. Our, our love for other image bearers of the God we serve and love, that we will reach out to those people out of love and do what we have to do to pull them up because we all need each other. I love what you say, Shane, when you say, I can't make my own iPad. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we, we all need each other in so many ways, in so many ways. Yeah, trade enriches us all when we trade yeah, with one yeah. another. I really think we need to, we really need to focus on compassion. And so just to kind of leave with this, this little lasso line here to kind of sum up a lot of what we were saying here is that compassion is absolutely necessary in order to get, I'm going to say that again. Compassion is absolutely necessary in order to get past, quote, cause and effect personal responsibility that can sometimes numb us to hidden external factors. And we will leave with that. Shane, this has been a fun series. Yes. I can honestly say in this series that this wasn't one where I knew everything I was going to say. I knew exactly where to come from. Let's just go record the episode. Like I actually, like I said in previous episodes, I really researched a lot on this and I really thought about a lot, a lot of this. And I can honestly say that in preparing for this episode and actually recording it, that I've actually changed. I'm different than when I started this episode. Before we started researching and you talking about it, like I've changed because of that. I feel like I have my eyes, I hope, I, I, I think they have kind of open to what's going on around me more and trying to be more sensitive to, to my fellow brothers and sisters out there. So 
I'm so I'm so glad we did this. It was a great series. Mishpah is beautiful. It really is. It really is. It really is. Well, guys, that's going to wrap us up here. And remember, you can always contact the show at feedback at switchinglensespodcast.com. You can reach us on Twitter at, li- at switchlensespod. Of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram with all of our videos, pictures, all that great stuff. And of course, everything can be found at our website, switchinglensespodcast.com. That's switchinglensespodcast.com with all videos, blogs, and podcast episodes. Well, that that's going to be it for us here, Shane. So uh, thank you for joining me as always. And we will see you guys next time. Adios.